It's another episode of Fear Not, the podcast that tells us why we are afraid of all the wrong things and oblivious to what can actually kill us. Trending fears this week, veganism makes you depressed. Fear lawnmowers, the actual lawnmowers. Your phone is cheating on you. 10,000 steps are too many. Don't tell Fitbit. Barry's fear of the week, charter schools. And of course, our regular feature, Fear Florida. That and so much more coming up on Fear Not. Today is gonna be a good day. Don't care what anybody else say. Oh, I don't need a fortune cookie to tell me the way I'm feeling. Gonna be a good day. A good day. Welcome back to Fear Not. It's episode six, and I am Alonzo Bowden here with Dr. Fear Not, my co host. Barry Glassner, the world's foremost expert on fear-mongering and why folks do it. Hey, Alonzo. You know, I've spent my career studying how people manipulate us and organizations do that by using fear so that they get us to do things that we might not otherwise do. That's right. And as you all know, Barry wrote the book on fear. His international bestseller, The Culture of Fear, Why Americans Are Afraid of the Wrong Things, is available on Amazon. Thank you for that shameless plug. I appreciate it. We do shameless plugs here. Full disclosure, though, there are truly scary things happening in the world around us, and uh, it's not usually the stuff that the fear mongers want us to be afraid of. And that's why we also answer your questions about fear. We want to know what's making you nervous. So check us out on Twitter at FearNotOfficial or email us at FearNotOfficial at gmail.com. Send us your questions and while you're there, subscribe to the podcast. It only takes one click. And let's get this thing started. Headline one. It's the middle of the night. Do you know who your iPhone is talking to? The subheadline reads... Apple says what happens on your phone stays on your iPhone. Our privacy experiment showed 5,400 hidden app trackers guzzled our data in a single week. Wow. One thing I do know, Apple is afraid of this story becoming a thing. And here's how I know. Did you see the last game of the NBA final? No, I actually missed that. Well, there's an iPhone commercial, and you may have seen it somewhere else. It's a woman. She's sitting in a nail salon. She's looking at her phone. She's laughing. Every time a text comes in, she starts laughing. Listen. At the end, the caption simply said, iMessage encrypts your conversations because not everyone needs to be in on a joke. This commercial was about privacy. But according to the article, nothing on our phones is private. Now, who are we supposed to believe? Apple or the reporter at the Washington Post? Well, it's tricky, all right, because Apple's right about their iPhones, but the apps are a whole different story. Let me just break this down a little bit. The writer, who's a tech reporter named Jeffrey Fowler, he took his iPhone to the privacy firm, this, this firm's called Disconnect, and they ran a diagnostic on the phone. And over the course of a week, they detected over 5,400 trackers from various apps. This included some of the biggies, you know, like Yelp and Google. 
A tracker, for those who aren't familiar, is something that's installed by an app that sends real-time personal data about your online activity. And that often includes a GPS location, so they know where your phone is. That all goes to the company that owns the app. But in Fowler's case, they estimated that the tracker on his phone transferred over 1.5 gigabytes of data to third parties over a month. Now, most of the data, it's important to understand, was used either to suggest ads to send to this Jeffrey or to check to see if the app was performing properly. But some of the apps, including the popular local crime reporting app that we talked about before on this podcast, Citizen, that one repeatedly sent out his phone number, email, his exact GPS location to another tracker that was called Amplitude, and all of this without Jeff's knowledge. They say it's without your knowledge, but at this point, I think we all know that they're, they're tracking us, they're stealing information. You think about buying something, and the next thing you know, ads are popping up on your phone. They've shown now that, like, with Facebook and stuff, you have to actually turn off the camera because the camera's already going to be on, right? And they, they, all of these things, they can look at your contacts and things like that. I mean, history shows us that the more convenient and the more useful these become, you know, the ones like Waze, we couldn't get around L.A. without Waze, Yelp and Lyft, the less likely we are to care if they know about us. The good news in a way is that governments are getting better at making data mining companies tell us if they know where we are, if they know what we're doing, um, if they're tracking us, um, you know, like those pop-ups when you launch an app, letting you know that, that they're adding cookies and asking you um, if you want to opt in. Sometimes you don't have any choice if you want to stay there. So the reporter in this article suggests that maybe every time you open an app, you should get a notice of how many trackers there are attaching to, to your phone. I mean, one example in, in this article DoorDash had nine trackers, okay? Uh, so maybe then you'll think twice about using that app. Well, the funniest thing you said is that governments are getting better at making data mine companies let you know. The government's one of the biggest buyers of this data. The government uses this data all the time. If I could figure out how to put out my credit score is 430, they'd all leave me alone. They'd be, what, 430? He can't buy anything. You'd get no more ads. You get no more ads. Just it, they, that, that's the app, an app that'll give you a fake ultra-low credit score. And they'd be like, nah, no sense bothering him. Articles like this one, what they're doing, and this is what we really need to point out, what they do is they play on people's privacy concerns. Uh, you know, it's my data. It's about me. No one should be getting it without my permission personally. I don't give a damn if companies hijack information about me to try to sell me things uh, more effectively. Either I want them or I don't. I'm going to buy them or I'm not. And that's the main goal in all this is to sell me stuff I don't want and need, right? But I do care if the information um, is it goes out like my, my telephone number or where I live. And if that ends up in the possession of hackers who want to do me some harm, or the, the way the article puts it is, the more places personal data flies, the harder it becomes to hold companies accountable for bad behavior, including inevitable breaches. But remember, when people used to worry, you just got to think back a little bit and you'll remember when people used to worry that burglars could use your social media postings to tell when you're out of town and then rob your house. Remember people would talk about that? That isn't happening. I do remember that. And I do remember my house being robbed when I was out of town, but I don't know if they 
followed me on Facebook or not. You know, this isn't a legitimate publication, okay? I can't stand that they keep doing this. They keep coming up with things that sound so scary, right? It helps sell newspapers, and these days, newspapers care a lot about eyeballs online, and this gets you clicks. What's your bottom line, Barry? App trackers on their phone. Fear or fear not? Fear not the trackers, but hold the companies accountable for the breaches. Good luck with that. Headline two, lawnmower accidents are maiming children. Here's how the article starts. Jeremy Westfall was cutting the grass last month at his home in Mineral Wells, West Virginia, when he decided to put the Massey Ferguson lawn tractor in reverse. He didn't see his daughter Michaela walking up behind him, and he backed over her. A sheriff report said they found that the child's toes had been cut off and that a piece of her foot was under a mower. What an opening. I mean, that'll scare the hell out of you. It's a horrible incident, for sure. According to the article, between 1990 and 2014, there were, on average, 65 lawnmower accidents that involved riding mowers backing over people. Uh, it's a very specific type of accident. 70% of those people who were backed over were under the age of five. And since 2004... There's been another 133 cases of young people being backed over with eight of them dying. You know, I don't want to seem like I'm joking about this because it's obviously serious and it's tragic for any one of these kids who gets maimed or worse killed. But it also it's it simply makes sense because, for one thing, if you're backing up and you don't look behind you, you're going to hit something. Now, kids under five are short. They're small, and a lot of times they're playing in the grass. They might be laying down. They might have fallen down. They might be on their hands and knees. So, I mean, sadly, it makes sense that if you're backing up, you might not see them. But here's what makes them worse, really. According to the article and according to the Consumer Product Safety Commission, there's an easy fix. In 2003, in response to the rising toll of accidents like these, most riding mower companies adopted a voluntary program, right? What that did is it added an automatic shutoff of the blade when the motor's put in reverse, right? Which takes care of just what you were saying. But apparently what happened was in their infinite wisdom, customers complained about this, right? Uh, you know, I guess the shutoffs were somehow cramping their style of people who prefer to cut grass in reverse. I, I don't know. But the manufacturers then installed overrides that disengaged the shutoff. See, now th this is the part that makes me mad. Well, unfortunately, it's up to the government to try to protect stupid people from themselves. I know exactly how this happens. This happens with so many safety regulations where they're like, okay, we got a bunch of idiots backing over people with their lawnmowers, so lawnmowers are not going to work in reverse. And then you get five people... That some bitch infringes on my freedom. This here America, some bitch. I'm free to mow in two directions. Some bitch. When they made the flag, they put them stripes in both directions, so I could fl I could mow in both directions in America. And some bitch, you sneak up behind me, I shoot you with my gun, which I also have here in America. No, asshead. No, you. Too bad. You you cannot mow in reverse. Don't give a voice to the stupid. You cannot protect stupid people from themselves. Don't give them a voice. Consumers are being blamed. Consumers are often blamed for these sorts of things. The Consumer Product Safety Commission then issued a statement that urged consumers 
who use riding mowers to protect their kids by, quote, keeping them out of the mowing area. (laughs) You know, that sounds like pretty common sense advice to me. And the guidelines went on, and now I'm quoting directly, when it is absolutely necessary to operate the mower in reverse, always look behind you before and while backing up. Isn't that brilliant? Okay, I'm going to stop you right there. You know what what that should say? That should say, wear a helmet at all times. If you are so dumb that we need to tell you to look behind you when backing up, you've got bigger problems than mowing the lawn. You should wear a helmet at all times because you're an idiot. You need to be protected from yourself. This goes back, and this was a, a famous lawsuit in Malibu where a guy sued because he got hurt by his lawnmower because he was using it to trim the hedges. And the, and the lawyers said <laughs> that nowhere did it say that this lawnmower should not be used as a hedge trimmer. And the company said it said it right where it said lawnmower. That's what it said, lawnmower. That was the warning that it's not a hedge trimmer. How much can you do to protect stupid people from themselves? Did someone look at that and say, look behind me while backing up? I never thought of that. These guys are brilliant. No wonder they're making lawnmowers. (laughs) I say fear Malibu lawyers, but let's take a closer look at the statistics and see if this story really honestly rises to a level of fear for us, okay? Over the past 14 years, 133 young people have been backed over by riding lawnmowers, okay? Well, that's under 10 a year. It's fewer than one person a year has died from this. Now, that number would be even lower if parents followed the advice of the American Academy of Pediatrics. That's the organization of pediatricians. Uh, You know what they suggest, Alonso? They say children under six years old should be kept indoors during mowing. Yeah, that makes sense. But this is like the kids who accidentally shoot themselves because the parent keeps the gun in the back seat of the car. I say fear stupidity. But but you, I'm going to ask because you're the scientist, riding lawnmowers, fear or fear not. This story's trending. Why is it trending right now? Because guess what? It's lawnmower season. So here's Barry's fear-busting hack of the week, folks. Watch out for seasonal scares. We talked about another one of those in an an earlier episode, shark attacks. You don't hear about shark attacks very much in winter, and there's a reason why the Discovery Channel's Shark Week is only in July and August. Do we really need to be afraid of riding lawnmowers? Do we need to add this to the list? Just keep your kids away from them and fear not. And also, here's another idea. You know, we have backup beepers on cars, right? They yell at you. Why, why don't we put that on lawnmowers? Because a lawnmower would cost $5 more, and that's un-American, some bitch. Be riding that price, getting that money liberals probably, some bitch. Before we stop this, I'm going to do a little pitch here, okay? Unintentional injuries are the leading cause of death in children, not lawnmowers specifically. The accidents that are causing large numbers of serious childhood injuries and deaths They're from other kinds of modes of transportation, specifically car accidents, bike accidents, and from kids drowning in pools and ponds and lakes and getting shot by firearms that aren't stored properly like you were just talking about, okay? So here's the thing. Don't drive recklessly or drunk, especially if you got your kids along with you, and make your kids wear bike helmets. And if you don't know how to back up a lawnmower, you should wear a helmet too. Okay, here we go. 
Headline three, evidence suggests a link between vegetarianism and depression. Wonder if I should be depressed just saying that. Well, I'm a committed carnivore myself, so I have to admit I would find it pretty depressing if all I could eat was veggies. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want the vegetarians jumping on me right from the start of this. I love a good vegetarian dish or even a whole meal. Here's my question about vegetarian food. Why are vegetables so expensive? How come I go to a restaurant and I have a vegetarian meal and it costs absolutely the same as a steak? I can't answer that, Alonzo. I'm going to go off and research that. I'll let you know, okay? The article's based on an earlier report that was in Psychology Today, and that one cites lots of serious studies, and the results do seem pretty clear. Vegetarians are, in fact, more likely to be the depressed than non-vegetarians. It looked at the entire spectrum, all the way from omnivores to pure vegans, from people who eat everything to people who eat only raw fruits and vegetables. What the study found was that as you remove categories of food from your diet, you increase the likelihood of suffering from depression. So for example, uh, people who uh, eat veggies and fish, pescatarians, I guess they're called, uh, but they don't eat meat. They're more likely to be depressed than people who eat everything. Okay, so you're removing things from your diet and it affects your mental well-being. The research seems pretty clear that uh, there's higher rates of, uh, uh, for depression among vegetarians and vegans. The fact that there is this association between vegetarianism and an increase in depression, that's true, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the food that's doing it. We have to look at all sorts of other things that could be going on that could be causing one group to be more depressed than another. There are all sorts of other really excellent studies that are published in top research journals that point to other explanations. So some of those studies say, for example, that particular nutrients are missing in some of the vegetarians' diets, and that that's what's to blame, like omega-3 fatty acids, some say vitamin D. Okay, but even that, Alonzo, that doesn't mean that vegetarianism causes depression. Instead, what it does is it points to the fact that some vegetarians may fail to add the proper nutrients that they need to have a balanced diet. So I want to be real clear here. I am not dumping on vegetarians or their diet. The American Dietetic Association and other authorities say that appropriately planned vegetarian diets, even, even including vegan diets, are nutritionally adequate. Or let me quote my friend Gary Taubes, very acclaimed science journalist who wrote the international bestseller, uh, good calories, bad calories. So I put it to him, can vegetarians have uh, adequate diets nutritionally? And here's what he said. Folks can do very well on vegetarian or even vegan diets. It just takes a lot of thought. And that's the thing. you got to think really hard to get it all if you're a vegan or a vegetarian. So what are you saying? That if you're a vegan or a vegetarian, you have to take vitamin supplements to make sure you have enough vitamins? or You can get it from the food, but you got to be really careful about what you eat. But then there's another possibility. Vegetarians more often feel isolated because they're expressing their eating preferences to others, and that can cause all kinds of stigmas. I don't know about you. I've heard vegetarians say, no one invites me over uh, because they don't know how to cook for me. Or uh, they say, you know, I can only date vegans so that I don't have to explain myself all the time. It's not explaining yourself. It's listening to you drone on and on 
about how this animal suffered or that. You know something? I'm sorry, animal. You should have been born higher on the food chain. Luck of the draw. I guess you haven't been to the empathy center on uh, Sunset. Look, this idea that it's because they're ostracized, there's evidence for that by the other side of the coin, all right? So if you look at groups of vegetarians who actually seem to benefit emotionally, where it's a a plus for them, example, Seventh-day Adventists, right? Researchers find that the Seventh-day Adventists have better health, mental health we're talking about here, when they adopt a vegetarian diet, and it probably is because it's part of being, you know, part of that community. Uh, you know, they're, they're really well supported in their vegetarianism. It's a supportive uh, community. That makes sense. Yeah, you're going to feel better if you're around people with the same ideas and the same beliefs. But it it's also has to do with your behavior. I mean, for instance, I don't drink, right? But I don't tell other people they shouldn't drink. So if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, you have to understand that most people aren't. So maybe they're not going to make special allowances for you. So if you go to a party, you may have to bring your own food, right? It's one thing to be a vegetarian or a vegan in L.A. versus Kansas City or the Midwest. Or, or listen, in the South, if you go to the South and say, I don't eat fried foods, then you starve to death. <laughs> you just, yeah, well, we'll find you dead on the side of the road because we got chicken fried chicken down here, you know. <laughs> go to a Hollywood party full of hot, looking models and they're all vegan that night i'm a vegan i'll be a vegan for the next three hours you don't find that depressing (laughs) those parties vegans are cheaper to feed (laughs) take Uh, them to the produce island let them graze unless it has to be 100 percent. i'm gonna go to hell for the things i say on this podcast (laughs) i like that i think you just lost all the vegan dates for the next six months but i want to go back to something you were just saying alonzo so according to this article some researchers believe that the tendency for depression among vegetarians comes from the fact that people give up meat due to concerns over the plight of animals and fish right so one animal rights advocate uh said this in a social media post uh, and i'm quoting here vegetarians and vegans are more aware of the cruelties uh, of the world, and this is more depressing than living in ignorant bliss. But, you know, taking an action uh, because something is depressing, that's not depression, right? You can, you can decide you're going to do this, and it might be depressing to have all this empathy, but that's not depression. That's one reason I'm glad we're talking about this article. Depression is completely different. It's a, it's a clinical condition, and it's very serious business, and it's impo- important not to, not to confuse this, the two, right? So, I mean, I find driving in L.A. incredibly depressing, but I'm not clinically depressed. You know what's really interesting about this? Cows are vegetarian, right? As far as I know, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I rode my motorcycle across country. When you ride across the middle of the country, you see tons of cows. And you know what I realized? They are the most zen creatures I've ever seen. Nothing affects a cow. I mean, I'm I'm not talking about the cruelty of slaughterhouses and stuff. I'm just talking about when you see a cow in the field, she don't care if it's raining, cold. But they just stand there. They just eat grass. I was like, I would love to reach that level of acceptance toward life. I wouldn't be depressed at all. But then you get to the slaughterhouse and everything changes. I think you're getting nicer as we talk about this, about vegans, because... No, I just love cows. This is L.A. So when someone tells me they're vegan, I halfway believe it. 
Now, I know a couple of people who really are vegan, who've been that way a long time. But in L.A., everybody's on the latest diet, right? So it, it might, you know, for a while it was the Atkins diet. Then it was the, the, you know, they were giving up all the wheat and white flour and stuff. And then the keto diet. And this is so you're a vegan. Yeah. Okay. This week I grade everything on a curve. One more little fact. Lots and lots of vegetarians who are not depressed. You know, so we got to keep that in mind, too. They're saying the closer you get to vegetarianism, the higher your chances of depression. Now, is that something to fear or fear not? I say fear not. If you want to be a vegetarian, be a vegetarian by all means. If you want to be a vegan, be a vegan. Just be sure that whatever diet you choose, you get the nutrients you need, and uh, don't be a social isolate. And don't talk to us about it. Down in Florida, we welcome you to the Sunshine State. It's time for my favorite and the most popular segment on our show, Fear Florida. All right, Barry, I got this one. I'm just going to read you the headline from the Post. Wendy's employee takes bath in the kitchen sink. And here's the best part. Restaurant still passes inspection. Tell me the story. A woman named Haley Leach posted a 93-second video of what appears to be a male employee at a Wendy's near Pensacola, Florida, wearing only a pair of shorts, jumping into a froth bath in an industrial kitchen sink at work. Now, if you're not familiar with Pensacola, it's up there on the panhandle, which many people call Lower Alabama. This employee was being egged on by his colleagues. They were filming it. They, they were dressed in Wendy's uniforms. Not saying they worked at Wendy's, just saying they were in a kitchen wearing Wendy's uniforms. In the vid, you can hear them yell, turn the jets on, turn the jets on, while he's washing his pits. Oh, it's beautiful. Beautiful, Barry. Take a bath. Take a bath. Get in there. Get. Oh, my God. There's water going everywhere. <laughs> How's it feel? It's warm. It's warm. Turn the jets on. Turn the jets on. Wash your armpits. Ooh, yeah, ooh. <laughs> Alonso, my favorite part of that is, how does it feel? How does it feel? It feels like unemployment. That's how it feels. <laughs> they say wash your hands before going back to work. I think this is taking that a little bit too far. Well, here are the facts. Mr. Mike Johnson, who represents the owner of the Wendy's, is quoted as saying, there was a prank by a person who no longer works at this restaurant and who clearly did not use good judgment. We're taking this opportunity to reinforce our very strict quality control procedures with our restaurant team. You need a really strict rule to In have... his defense, he didn't think that he had to put up a rule, no bathing in the sink. <laughs> You know what this reminds me of? Those signs at swimming pools that say you can't go in if you have diarrhea. Yeah, well, you had to put up a sign. No bathing in the sink. All right. Fact number two. State inspectors visited the Wendy's the next day where the manager received instructions from the regulators of the Florida Department of Business and Professional Regulation on sanitation and safety control. Some bitch got a good talking to. Fact number three, the restaurant remained open and passed inspection according to the inspection report. You're kidding, right? No, and, and you know something? Maybe they had to drain the sink and wash it out. Like, I get that. You know, this, this is the part I get. Like, you're not going to shut down the whole restaurant because one guy polluted the sink. I'm sure they drained it and cleaned it. I'm not sure. I would hope. 
that they drained it and cleaned it. You think they should shut it down? Look, I don't know where you eat, where I eat, if that was going on. I, I wouldn't like it. I really would not want to eat there, even, even if I was in Florida. I say drain the swamp and do whatever you want at Wendy's. Evidently, this prank is not new. Ten years ago, the Daily News reported a similar stunt at a Burger King where the perp said on his MySpace page, remember MySpace pages? He said, it's my birthday. I'm taking a bath in the sink at Burger King. Somebody bring me a beer. Beer, Florida. Yes, please. Headline number four comes from National Public Radio, and the headline reads, 10,000 steps a day? How many you really need to boost longevity? When we came upon this story, Alonzo, I immediately passed it on to my wife, Betsy, because she's worn Fitbits for several years now, and she really does fret if she doesn't hit the 10,000 steps. Most With all day, due respect to your wife, I don't think I've ever met anyone who frets. <laughs> I like that. That's old school when you're out there fretting. What'd you do today? I was fretting between 9 and 10.30. Another word. It's gone from my vocabulary permanently now. If we do this podcast for two years, I'm not going to have any words left. It's right up there with Mosey. She ought to Mosey 10,000 steps a day, and then she wouldn't have to fret. But I really do know a lot of people who freak out about, about this. I actually have a friend. Um, if she's only at 9,000-something, she'll walk around her little house until she gets to 10,000 steps. But it turns out, see, the idea of walking 10,000 steps a day for health goes back decades. All right, here's a quiz for you now that you jumped on me about fretting. Okay, guess where it comes from? I'm going to guess that it comes from somebody selling shoes. Well, in this case, the 10,000 steps can be traced back to a marketing campaign in Japan, and that was to promote a new pedometer, you know, that one of these devices that you carry with you that counts your steps. Uh, this was one of the precursors to Fitbit. So for some reason, uh, with little research to back this up, 10,000 steps was adopted in the U.S. as the goal to promote for good health, right? You're supposed to get your 10,000. Now it's the default setting on most of these fitness trackers. You know what this reminds me of? Remember the 3,000-mile oil change? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you know who started that? Who? Oil change companies. And people did it. It worked. So, yeah, so I could see where this would happen. You have a pedometer company saying that you should take 10,000 steps. What's the 10,000 steps thing based on? According to research by Ayman Lee, who's, who's a professor, by the way, of epidemiology at Brigham and Women's uh, Hospital. That's part of the Harvard Medical School in Boston. All right, Lee was curious to find out how many steps you actually need a day to maintain good health and to live a long life. So what she did is she and some of her colleagues, they did a study where they looked at about 17,000 older women. It was a big study. It's worth paying some attention to. And the average age of the women in the study was 72 years old, which, by the way, despite what uh, some of our millennial listeners may think, actually isn't all that old these days. The women all wore some kind of tracker and just went about their normal day. So what do you think they learned? Well, it depends on where they tracked them, because if they had tracked my late mom and her friends in the casino, <laughs> they'd, have, they'd have found they take three steps. You go to your machine, and you spend the day right there. What Dr. Lee discovered was that women only needed to hit about 4,000 steps a day to receive some boost in longevity in their lifespan, which, frankly, I got to tell you, this doesn't surprise me because some years ago I was writing a book related to, to the exercise revolution and all that stuff. 
And I looked at the studies back then, and they were finding similar things, right? And recent studies now have found that moderate walking for about 30 minutes a day goes a long way to promoting good health. So in that Harvard study that brought about this whole discussion, over a four-year follow-up period, women who took 4,400 steps per day were about 40% less likely to die during that period than women who took 2,700 steps or less, okay? Correlation doesn't mean causation. My favorite example of this, there's a strong correlation between ice cream sales and sunglasses sales, right? You know, both happen when the weather heats up, okay? Um, But neither one causes the other one, right? But catch this, the benefit of walking maxed out, can I get a drum roll here? Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. It maxed out at 7,500 steps. Women who walked more than 7,500 steps per day uh, saw no added benefit as it relates to longevity. Well, there's a lot to fret about right here. <laughs> we, got, we got plenty of reasons for fretting. No, I mean, this. it's an odd study because you're, you're checking with 72-year-old women. Do the same numbers apply to 52-year-old women, 32-year-old women? If you're younger, do you have to take more steps? Does it, you know, then you, like you said, the correlation versus causation. What do these women eat? Where do they live? Right. Et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of other things involved. So they're saying walk 20, 20 minutes a day. That's pretty much what they do when they go to the mall. You know, right? They go to the mall before it opens and they walk. You've seen the mall walk. I have a buddy. He and I are looking forward to that day. We honestly (laughs) are looking forward to when all we do is we get up in the morning, we walk the mall, then we find a seat, and we complain about all the young people that walk by all day. So fear hitting 10,000 steps a day or not? Look, what we know for sure is 10,000 is no magic number. So if you don't hit it, stop. Can I say fretting again? Stop fretting about it. Go do something productive. And you know what else? They're not saying if you do 12,000, that's bad. So there's no magic number here, and fear not. It's time for the segment I come back for every week. I come back for every segment every week. I work here. What the hell? This is Barry's Fear of the Week. This is a subject, Alonzo, that's been on my radar for a long time. And you know what it is? It's the move to charter schools. Okay. I I really want to see what you have to say about this because I have an opinion of my own on charter schools and on specialized education within the public school system. I'll get to why it scares me in a second. Let me give you some backstory. Charter schools were created in the early 1990s as a way to bring private business type accountability, right, to public K through 12 education. And today there are about 7,000 charter schools in 42 states and DC. That's a big number and a big business. Now these are public private ventures where public funds are used to fund third-party independent schools. Some of these are run as not-for-profits, some are run as for-profits. They were created ostensibly as a response to the outcry of complaints that local public schools were going downhill and that the private sector could be better at educating our kids, not unlike what we've done, you know, in privatizing prisons, for example. Also, they're required to be non-discriminatory, that is, They must admit students without restrictions or filters other than for subject matter schools, STEM and art-centric programs. About two-thirds of students in charter schools are students of color. 
which obviously is a reason why black and Hispanic voters say that they support charter schools. Well, I support the idea of charter schools. There are a lot of terrible public schools. If you have charter schools, if you have a school run by a private organization that can do it better, and you give that organization the money, and that school is open to all the kids, then that's a great thing. Also, when it comes to specialized education, I went to a high school in New York called Aviation High School. Besides the regular high school curriculum, we learned to fix airplanes. I graduated as a licensed airplane mechanic and was able to instantly get a job at Lockheed Aircraft. I think charter schools are a good idea as long as they work. Now, why don't you like them? When that's the case, they're good things. But here's why we're talking about this. Back in 1994, the Charter School Fund was added to the Elementary and Secondary Education Act. Since then, the feds, they've handed over about $4 billion to states for charter schools. Here's why I'm upset about it. There's a new report out by a group called the Network for Public Education. And you know me, I don't take just any kind of report. It's okay, people have agendas, no question. This particular organization was co-founded by a Bush-era Assistant Secretary of Education, that's Diane Ravitch. And the report was written by a former principal who has a PhD from Columbia University and who was named New York State's Outstanding Educator of the Year, right? And this study says that the Department of Education has spent $1 billion on charter school waste and fraud. And here are just a few of the takeaways from that report. Many charter schools receive funding and either never open or they close within a year or two. In California alone, which is the largest state with the most charter schools, between 2004 and 2014, 306 schools closed or never opened. And the total cost of that was $180 million. I don't blame charter schools for that. I blame administrators. I blame the crooks in the government. You know, th this sounds like a lot of backdoor deals made where somebody knows somebody and they say, hey, I'm gonna open a charter school. I need money, and then his his friend's department gives him the money. You know, and it's not really an overstatement to say that the system is set up to encourage this, to encourage fraud. Here's an example. Not-for-profit charter schools are allowed to pay rent on buildings that are owned by the very individuals who run and control the schools with little or no oversight on how the rent rates are determined. Charter school organizers are also allowed to hire their own friends and family to work at the schools. What could go wrong? And here's something I think should concern every one of our listeners, even those who solidly support the idea of charter schools. There's evidence that as more taxpayer money has gone to charter schools, there's been a decrease in the quality of the schools as measured by state testing. And what's even worse than all of that, many of the issues that this report's raised have been flagged in the past. They've been flagged by the DOE's own Office of the Inspector General. From what I understand, Betsy DeVos was given this report. She says she's seen this report, and she's perfectly comfortable, and she's going to increase support for charter schools. It's the nicest way I can put this. I'm not surprised. She probably <laughs> has a brother who has a cousin who has a son who owns a charter school and the rent is a million dollars a month. The author of the Forbes article that talked about the study recommends capping the money allotted for charters until we can make them more accountable. That's not necessarily a bad idea. The amount of fraud and waste that this study found is ridiculous. <laughs> All 
All right, Barry, it is time for a nightcap. What ridiculously outrageous story has your crack research team dug up this week? A fun one. And, and remember, we're doing this as a game now, so you have to tell me if this headline is something to fear because it's true or fear not because it's bogus. So this is like bluff the listener on Wait Wait. Here's the headline. Woman sues Samsung for $1.8 million after cell phone gets stuck in her vagina. Here's the subheadline to make it easier for you, or maybe harder. An Albuquerque woman is suing Samsung for $1.8 million after she necessitated medical attention after inserting her vibrating cell phone inside her vagina and was unable to retrieve it for 96 hours. Absolutely true. Albert Einstein once said the difference between genius and stupidity, genius has limits. Would a woman put a vibrating phone in her vagina? Definitely. I say true. Great. You think it's true. Here's what the article says. A woman named Salma Bryant said that she first inserted the cell phone as a dare from one of her friends, but quickly realized that the phone would not come out. She told the judge, who is named Andrew Peterson, she told him in tears, I wanted to see how it would feel to put my cell phone on vibrate mode inside of me just for fun, but it soon turned out to be a nightmare. Bryant's attorney, someone named Jim McAfee, claimed in court that his client was forced to undergo a cesarean section to remove the phone due to the, quote, atypical shape of her pelvis. Now, she had no insurance at the time, and she claims her medical bills at the University of New Mexico Hospital totaled $1,186,000, in addition to which she, she suffered uh, psychological damage. Reportedly, a Samsung spokesperson said they would not comment on the case because a settlement is on the table. How is this Samsung's fault? That's what I, I just don't get. This is one of those where you sue a big corporation and the corporation, I guess, makes a settlement. You know, here's the thing. This is like a hack joke in stand-up. Back when cell phones first came out, like we all had, I had one, all comics had some version of a joke of I'm going to keep my phone in my pocket on vibrate. I'm going to put my phone in my underwear on vibrate. None of us said do it. So I'm sorry, stupid lady. No, you don't, you don't get a dime. Where's that judge? And another thing. How come she gets a signal inside her vagina? I can't get a signal in downtown L.A., yet inside her vagina she gets a signal? That's the only part of this story I doubt. You going with true? I'm going with true. There is actually a lesson to be learned from this, and it's not about cell phones and vaginas. What makes stories like this seem so credible so that even the smartest, best comedian in the world thinks it's true is that they're so detailed. They have specific names. They have specific places. But, in fact, this is totally bogus. Okay, but your reasoning is wrong. I don't believe it because of the specificity of the story or the names involved. I believe it because there's no limit to human stupidity. So if you tell me somebody put a phone in their vagina and wanted to feel it vibrate, that sounds absolutely reasonable in today's society. You forget, Barry, we are idiots. Uh, present company. Uh, Included. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah, we're all dumb. Well, this bogus story circulated online. It came from World News Daily Report, which is a site that admits to being fictional. The woman in the picture wasn't even named Salma uh, Bryant. The picture was of a woman who sued someone else about something completely unrelated. Still, you got to love the other bogus example of cell phone misuse in the story. 
I'm going to quote from the story here. Apple faced a similar lawsuit in 2014 after a man had attempted to swallow 14 iPhones and ended up in the emergency room for mercury poisoning. Yeah, again, believable. Say it with me, Alonzo. Fear not. No, I refuse to fear not. I'm going to be like Fox News. Your debunking of this is fake news. You're covering up for her. She exists. For reals, as the kids say. Today is going to be a good day. Don't care what anybody else say. Oh, I don't need a budget cookie to tell me. If you like what you heard, help. Even if you hated what you heard, hit the subscribe button and tune in every week. Give us a five-star review to help us rise on the charts. And as always, if you hear news stories that make your hair stand on end or they sound like someone is trying to fill you with fear, send them to us at fearnotofficial.com or tweet us at fearnotofficial. And we'll see if we can uh, find the truth. Let us know what you're scared of. Fear Not is a Stone & Company entertainment production hosted by Alonzo Bowden and Dr. Barry Glasner. Executive produced by Scott A. Stone. Produced and edited by Adam Everest. Written by Scott A. Stone, Barry Glasner, and Adam Everest. Alonzo writes stuff too. Don't believe him. Our sound engineer is David I. Legal Beagles, Loeb and Loeb. Crack accountants are 10 key accounting. Special thanks to Gary Brown, Betsy Amster, and Adam's imaginary girlfriend.